All right, you can have a seat. All right, in Mark 4.30, we see a picture of Jesus. It's almost like he's thinking out loud, and he's saying, hmm, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? And he says, oh, I know, a mustard seed. And then he goes into a whole lesson about a mustard seed in the kingdom of God. At least over 40 times in the New Testament, Jesus takes either an item or some story, and he uses that to teach from. And it helps people to understand the bigger heavenly view by looking at something here on earth. Today, you know, is a super day, and um, I thought I might kind of do like Jesus and use a something physical that we know about to help us have a good lesson. So I really, I need a football. Does anybody, any, anybody in here have a football? Oh, Asa, you have a football? Hey, can I borrow your football? Oh, yes. Okay. Thank you, Asa. Good job. That's always a dangerous thing to do and uh, live in front of people. But this morning, I want to use a football, and let me put this right here. I want to use a football as part of our lesson to help us understand something about God. Now, to, before we get to that, though, we got to go way back. A lot of you know my dad, Charlie Chisholm. He is what you call a sweeper. Now, that's not a janitor. That's a person that enters sweepstakes as a hobby. He has done this my entire life. I have, I have memories of him sitting in front of TV, filling out entry blanks as he sat there. There were times Debbie and I would show up at the house and walking in, he would say, here, fill out these 10 entry blanks for me. And he cannot walk by a box without dropping at least 50 entry blanks into the box. Now, it pays off because uh, there have been lots of victories. I actually had a whole piece of paper that told names of people here that won, and I forgot to bring it up here with me. Um, but at, at one year, 20 of you all here won uh, either 50 or $100 gift cards from where he was giving you phone numbers to hand out. We have won all kind of things over the years, at least, at least four or five trips to the Super Bowl. We've won SEC tournament uh, champion tickets, all kinds of things. One of my favorite was this right here. Now, you think that's funny, but back in the 70s when I rode that around my neighborhood, I was cool. Okay, that was, a, that was a great bike. We also one time won a cow. Dan, my brother and I, we begged. Now we lived in a subdivision. We were like, please, we have a fenced-in backyard. We'll keep it in the backyard. We'll be the only kids in the neighborhood with a pet cow. Well, that didn't work out, but, um, you know, but we, we've won things. We actually won a microwave oven in the 1970s before anybody knew what that was. Friends would come over to the house and they would stand around looking at the microwave oven as it heated things, and they were amazed at how well that worked. So, but the rule with my dad is, if somebody calls saying you won something, just play along. Just pretend like you know what they're talking about, because he'll enter all of our names into. Well, one day I got a call from Shoe Carnival, and they, they, they said, congratulations, we've drawn your name. You get to go to a Titans game and kick a field goal. And, and they went through all this stuff. I was like, great, yeah, that's fine. As soon as I got off the phone with them, I called Debbie. I said, Debbie, guess what? We're going to a Titans game, and I'm going to kick a field goal. And she said, do you know how to kick a field goal? And I thought, ooh, I don't think I've ever done that. I, I might actually not know how to kick a field goal. So then I got nervous. I was like, I've got to figure this out. I had one week to start figuring out how to kick a field goal. The Friday after they called, we went to a Lipscomb High School football game. When it was over, 
and after everybody left, and after the lights went off, I snuck out on this field, and I kicked the first five times that I was going to try to kick. I missed every one of them. Could not get it anywhere near going in there, and I thought, oh, I am in big trouble. I started showing up at 6 o'clock every morning at the, at the elementary school gym before anybody was there, and I would practice kicking in the gym. Um, that was my goal right there between the doors and above them, and if I could do that, then, then I knew I was getting there. At the beginning of the week, I was hitting about one out of every 10 that I kicked. I, every once in a while, I would get it. I think those were more by accident. So what I had to start doing was teaching myself how to kick a football. Um, I didn't know who to go to, but I just started practicing and I started learning about it. Here's what I learned was, number one, I had to watch the ball. See, at first, I would look where I was kicking, and then I would actually miss the whole ball or I'd kick it off to the side. I learned that I had to only look right there at the ball, not anything else, not where I was going, just the ball. And then I figured out I had to use the top of my foot. I needed my shoelaces to make contact with that ball. If the shoelaces hit it, it went the right direction. If any other part of my foot hit it, then, then it was bad. And then the last thing was I needed to kick the tee. I, I tended to kick way too high on the ball, and that would cause it to bounce along the ground. But if, if the toes of my foot would just catch that tee and lift it up off the ground, then the, the football would be a perfect arch and would go exactly the way it needed to go. So, so what I realized is I didn't need to worry about the goalpost. I didn't need to worry about where it was going. All I had to worry about was this little area right here. Just, just this, a four-foot area. If I got this right, everything else would then fall into place there. So I, I had this little thing I would go through, go through. I would set it down. I would step back about three steps, and I would say to myself over and over, watch the ball, top of the foot, kick the tee. Watch the ball, top of the foot, kick the tee. Just over and over. And then when I would kick it, I would really concentrate on those three things. By Wednesday, I was hitting about five out of ten. By uh, Saturday, I was up to about eight out of ten. So getting there, but still, you only have one chance when you walk onto that field. Sunday morning, we came to worship. Uh, Debbie and I, we, we didn't go to class. Sorry about that. We, um, we left, and as we were going to the car to head down to the Titans field, I said, let me, go, let me go kick 10 more times. And I went out onto the field, and uh, we didn't have the playground there then, but I was aiming at those little areas right there. I hit 9 out of 10. Now, that, that's pretty good odds, but again, I've only got one shot at it. So we went to the Titans game. I have never been so nervous in my life sitting there waiting for that opportunity to go out there. At halftime, they came and got me, walked me out there. At the first time out, they said, okay, come on. And, and the guy doing it was Hope Hines. You remember him? He was a sportscaster for 40-something years here in Nashville. He brought us out there, and he said, he said now, when I tell you to go, you can't, you can't pause. you got to just go. And he, he made this announcement. This was in front of 69,000 people there in the stadium. And we're down there on the field. He made his announcements, and he said, all right, time to go. So I stepped back in my mind really fast because I know I couldn't wait. I was like, watch the ball, top of the foot, kick the tee. And I took my steps. And, and, and we're going to stop right there a minute. I've learned with teenagers, if I finish the story, they don't listen to the message. So you're going to have to wait to find out what happened uh, from that. Here's, here's the, uh, the parable. Here's the message. Your Christian walk is like kicking a football. Okay, and the, the, you see a lot of Christians, they say, oh, I, I can't do enough. I'm not good enough to serve God. 
I don't know how to preach. I don't know how to teach. Um, I, I just, I don't know what to do. I can't do anything big. I'm just a little person here. I just don't know how to make a difference. So many Christians live that life their whole life, and they think that there's nothing they can do that's really going to make a difference for God. And he, here's, the, here's the thing. You don't worry about the big things. When I was kicking, I didn't worry about the goalpost up there. That was not even part of it. It was this four-foot area is all that mattered. And in our Christian life, we can't be looking at the big things saying, well, I've never been a missionary, and I can't stand up here and preach, and I, I'm not good at teaching a class. Those aren't the things that we say. We look at the little things that are around us. We need to focus in our Christian walk. We need to focus on the four-foot area right around us, the things that are easily within reach, the things that we can do. So I'm going to tell you three things that I encourage you to focus on, things that every person, whether you're a brand new Christian or have been a Christian all your life, whether you are really good at teaching and all that stuff, or you just don't even know what you can do. These are things that every one of us can focus on and be successful at. Number one, keep your eyes on Jesus. That's, that's the first thing. We have to practice keeping our eyes on Jesus. He has to be the focus of what we look at. Uh, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3, let us keep on running the race that is marked out for us. I think that marked out is an important thing there. God knows the race we're running. He, he knows what we're doing. That race is marked out. Let us keep looking to Jesus. He is the one who started this journey of faith, and he is the one who completes this journey of faith. So think about him. That's another way of saying keep your eyes on Jesus. Think about him. Then you won't get tired and you won't lose hope. You see, while we as Christians keep our eyes on Jesus, that gives us the strength that we need to get through this life. This guy, uh, Micah Herndon, he crawled across the finish line at the Boston Marathon. He was in, uh, he was in Afghanistan and the vehicle he was in blew up it killed the three people in there with him, three of his best friends. You can see, you really can't see on there, on his right hand there, he has their names tattooed on his hand. He ran the Boston Marathon in honor of his three friends. With about 100 yards left, his legs gave out. He collapsed right there on the race. People ran out to help him. He said, don't touch me, don't touch me. He said, I'm going to finish this race because I'm running it in honor of my three friends. And so he, he physically crawled. He pulled himself across the finish line because he was doing it in honor of his three friends. The people around him could hear him chanting those names as he moved. It was clear in his mind. He had a purpose for being there. He knew what he was there for. And that gave him the strength to continue to move even when his legs gave out. See, that's the idea of us focusing on Jesus it provides strength and direction for our life. Uh, the, good, the good picture of that is Peter when he was walking on the water. We always say, well, you know, Peter, he's the one that sank in the water. Well, you know, he's the only person other than Jesus to ever walk on water, right? He did an amazing thing. But while he was doing that amazing thing, he got distracted. He started noticing the waves, the wind, all of the stuff going on around him. And he forgot to keep his eyes on Jesus. And what happens when you take your eyes off Jesus? That's when you sink. That's when life starts to go wrong. That's when all of the struggles in life begin to take over and you're not able to keep 
sticking with God. That's when things don't go right. So when you are sinking, the question is, who or what do you cry out to first? What is it that you go to when things aren't going right? If you're keeping your eyes on Jesus, in danger, your first safety is sought in Jesus. When you feel alone, your first conversation is with Jesus. In fear, your first help me is directed to Jesus. When confused, the first wisdom you seek is from Jesus. When weak, the first strength you seek is from Jesus. When stumbling, the first support that you reach for is from Jesus. Uh, Let's see, did I read that one? Uh, There we go. In uncertainty, the first constant that you see is Jesus. In disaster, your first words are to Jesus. When life is crumbling, the first comfort that you look for is from Jesus. When you're confused, the first wisdom you seek is from Jesus. In sickness, the first medicine you go to is Jesus. When facing the end of life, the first hand that you reach for is Jesus. That means in everything, we're keeping our eyes on Jesus. And for the teenagers, in heartbreak, the first arms that you run to are Jesus's arms. Uh, For the middle schoolers, when being bullied, the first friend that you run to is Jesus. And for our elementary kids, after the nightmare, when you wake up, your first thoughts are to turn to Jesus. Jesus has to be the first. He has to be the one we turn to. It's who we look to. It's kind of like setting an alarm clock. If you wait till the morning to decide when to get up, you are going to oversleep. An alarm clock needs to be set the night before, right? So that you can think about what is going to happen. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, that has to begin when things are good. So uh, in victory, your first credit is given to Jesus. When blessed, the first thank you goes to Jesus. In peace, the first thoughts are about Jesus. In the morning, the first words are spoken to Jesus. When forgiven, the first gratitude is given to Jesus. And when loved, the first love is given back to Jesus. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. He is the one that gets us through. He is the one that saves us. He is the one that protects us. When we walk our Christian life, we simply need to make sure that Jesus is first and foremost in everything that we do. So this morning, I encourage you, commit right now to saying, my eyes will be fixed on Jesus. I will follow him. I will serve him. He will be number one. All right. So you don't need to worry about doing giant things for God. I should have said super things, right, for today. You don't have to worry about doing giant things for God. All you need to do is keep your eyes on Jesus. And then number two is to pray every day. Now, when I say pray every day, I'm not talking about praying for a meal. That's good. You need to pray for your meal, but that's not real prayer. That's just being thankful, okay? Real prayer is so much more. The disciples came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, we see you praying. Teach us how to do that. And Jesus said, okay, let me teach you how to pray. And then he said what we call the Lord's Prayer. We put it on plaques. We, uh, people just repeat it over and over. And after we read that part, we then say, now let us tell you what Jesus was talking about. And we do things like this. A prayer has to have adoration. It has to have confession. It has to have thanksgiving. It has to have supplication. And really, how many of our prayers involve all that, right? I mean, the first thing we do is we go back to what Jesus said in his prayer, and we try to dissect that prayer. That's not what Jesus did. When Jesus 
finished the prayer. He said, now let me tell you how to pray. Let me tell you what, how, what, how this connects. And he told the parable of the persistent neighbor. You know that one. The, uh, a guy had a friend come in, had been traveling long and probably late into the night, didn't have any food, was very hungry, probably to the point of being sick. He goes to his neighbor and he starts knocking. He's like, I'm sorry, I know it's really late at night, but I have a friend here. He's really super hungry. I don't have any food. Can I have some food? The guy in the house is like, we're asleep. The kids are already in bed. You're going to wake us up. I, I know, but I really, I really need some food for my friend here. Please let me have some food. I've already barred the door. Look, in the morning, I'll get up and give you food. Just let us sleep. No, no, I, I, you have to get up and give me food. I'm going to keep knocking until you give me food. The Bible says that he says, not because you're a good neighbor, but just because I won't get any sleep if I don't do this, I'll get up and give you food. Now, Jesus said, that's the way you pray. I've taught this story to, uh, to the middle school many, many times, and I always say, that shows how we need to be persistent in prayer. When I was working on this lesson, just, just this time, I thought, Persistent is too nice. That's, that's, too, you know, that's too much of a Bible story lesson to be persistent. When I was reading it, I thought, no, it's, it's different than persistent. And, and I started looking at some different versions. The English Standard Version uh, uh, says impudence. That's arrogance, not showing due respect. Now remember, Jesus is the one telling the story. In the King James Version, it says importunity, that's persistent, especially to the point of annoyance or intrusion. There's something about this that is not nice. When he is praying, when Jesus said, this is the way you pray, it wasn't a nice thing. It wasn't just being persistent. I think that we ought to call this parable the parable of the annoyingly aggressive neighbor. I think that is a better picture of what Jesus is saying about how we pray. You see, Jesus said, when you pray, you are all out praying. It's everything you've got. You are banging on the door. There is something you are concerned about, and you do not stop talking to God about it. It just keeps going and going. Now, of course, we are not rude to God. We're not arrogant to God. But Jesus said, this is, the, this is what your prayer looks like if somebody sees you praying. It looks like that you are aggressive. It looks like that you are annoying God. Now, I always tell the middle schoolers, you know that God is not that neighbor who wouldn't get up, right? Jesus did the same thing. He said, when you pray like that, now remember, simple praying, I don't think applies here. But when you pray with this annoyingly aggressive way, then if you ask, it'll be given to you. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be opened. And then he says, a good father desires to give you good gifts. He's saying God was not that, that person who wouldn't open the door. God wants to answer the prayer, but the prayers that he looks for are those annoyingly aggressive prayers. The person who is all out praying for God. So make your prayer life annoyingly aggressive. You go after God. You tell him what's going on. You talk to him about what's happening in your life. So, uh, you don't need to worry about doing the giant things for God. All you need to do is keep your eyes on Jesus, and you pray real prayer every day. And then number three is you serve other people. Serve other people. In 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and comfort. Now, listen to this carefully. Who comforts us in all our troubles 
so that we can use the comfort we receive from God to help others. You see, God takes care of us when we keep our eyes on Jesus, when we pray to him, he comforts us so that we can then turn around and comfort other people. That means we need to be on the lookout for who to serve. God knows what he's doing. He knows that he has helped us in a way that somebody around us needs that same help. So what we have to do is open our eyes and say, God, who is it that I'm supposed to serve? You see, he didn't say go to Africa and do this. It's just he helped you and now just start looking. There's somebody within reach of you that needs what God has given you. When you commit uh, to service, when you commit to service, when you're serving other people, God will put people in your path. See, you're just working on this little area and all of a sudden, there's somebody right there that, that God wants you to serve. Even seemingly insignificant acts can be multiplied by God. Sometimes a couple words are said, and that stirs something that causes a huge difference. You simply begin to, to serve people. Just say, I will look for the way that I can help other people. Matthew five sixteen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, and then... Glorify your Father in heaven. You see, it's as you do those acts of service that others look and go, look at that. Oh, it comes from there. That's the way people see God in this world. Uh, and when you're serving, here's an important point. God has to get the glory. I was talking to a teenager one time, and they said, oh yeah, I give, uh, I give money to a, an organization that goes and, dr and, and drills wells in Africa so that people can have water. Now, now, understand what I'm saying here. Don't, don't confuse what I'm saying. Um, so I said, tell me about it. He told me about it. It was a secular organization. Had no connection to God. Um, they, didn't, they didn't do anything other than drilling wells. That's a good thing, okay? That, giving people water, that is a good thing. I don't say that that is not good at all. But I asked this teenager, I said, so what happens in 100 years? What have you done? He said, well, well nothing. They're already dead. They don't need the water anymore. And I said, yeah, but, but what has happened to them? I said, you see, the, the potential is there. You could do this good thing, and you could help a lot of people not be thirsty as they go to hell. And then they end up going to hell not thirsty. And so in 100 years, what have we really accomplished? And remember, I'm not saying we don't help people have water, but I'm saying when we do that, it's to the glory of God. Everything that you do, Every act of service that you offer to other people, it somehow needs to be to the glory of God. I was at um, O'Charlie's several years ago now, the one in Brentwood, coming out of O'Charlie's, the parking lot is there, I'm walking across the parking lot, and I look over and there's an SUV with a trunk up and a bunch of stuff out on the ground. And as I look, the guy's just kind of standing there like this, and I thought, I I'm not sure what's wrong, but he needs some kind of help. And I felt like God was saying, you gotta go help him. Now you gotta understand, I can stand right here in front of you all easily, more easily than I can go to a stranger and start a conversation. And I was like, no, I, I don't even know what to say when I walk up to him. But I know God was telling me that. So I said, okay, I'm going to drive over here and park and make sure that, that what I'm seeing is right. So I drove over and I parked and I sat there a little while and sure enough, he needed some help. And I, by then I could see he had a flat tire. So I got out and I started walking over and God started saying, give me the glory. I was like, oh, and God said, give me the glory. And so I walked over. I said, sir, do you need help? He said, I have a flat tire, but I don't know where the spare tire is. 
And so we, we spent 30 minutes first finding the spare tire. It was underneath the back of the car, and then we had to figure out how to get it off. We couldn't get it off. Finally, there was this tiny little hole you had to stick the thing through and turn it and, and dropped it down. It took us 30 minutes to figure that out. The whole time, the whole time, I'm like, what am I going to say to him? Now, now, it's a Muslim family. His wife is there. Two kids are there. The, the wife had the, the head covering. I'm like, what am I going to say? How do I give God the glory in this? Like, I was afraid. Well, I, and in fact, I was saying, can this take a little bit longer? Can I stretch it out? Because I don't know what to say. Finally, we, we had it done. It was all wrapped up. And I got to that point, and I was like, um, I said, sir, I, I know that we, you and I serve two different gods, but... I want you to know that, that my God told me that I needed to come serve you and help you today. Now, I just helped him so he couldn't be mean, right? He was like, well, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and I kind of backed away, and he said, someday I'll be able to help you. And I was like, okay, good. And I left. I didn't do a good job. I mean, I didn't preach the message to him. But in, in every act of service, somehow, somewhere in there, we have to give the glory to God. Somehow we have to let people know as we are serving them that we are doing it because we were served by a Savior that gave His life for us. So when, when we are serving, glory to God every time, no matter how difficult it is to say that. Real service is not just a dollar out the window or a dollar in the collection plate. Real service is so much more than that. It is where God is getting glory because his people are doing something to help others. So you don't need to worry about doing giant things for God. All you need to do, your four-foot circle, you need to keep your eyes on Jesus, like really keep your eyes on Jesus. Happen that are on farther out there, they happen. God works. He then knows he can trust you to be able to do more things. All right. Back to the story at the beginning. So I'm out there in front of 69,000 people. It's really quite a sight from that football field. Um, he says, time to go. Very quickly in my head, watch the ball, top of the foot, kick the tee. I take my steps. I come up. My eyes are glued to that ball. They do not leave the ball at all. Um, it's a, the shoelaces on my shoe are perfect against that, that football and the tee went flying across through the air. Now, you know what? I don't even have to tell you what happened, do I? Because if I did the three little things, the rest of it takes care of itself. I made it. It went through. Uh, I didn't have a referee there to do that, but I just went like this in front of all those people. I said, <laughs> it went through. I just saw it go through. It was a beautiful sight. They gave me a gift card. It was a year's supply of shoe, car uh, shoe carnival uh, shoes. And... That's $365, by the way. Everybody at Christmas that year got shoes for Christmas. <laughs> it, it was a great thing. All right. This football is a, a small picture of your Christian walk. To kick this ball through a field goal, you don't worry about the field goal. You worry about your little four-foot area. You do that right, everything else takes care of itself. In your Christian walk, you make sure your eyes are glued to Jesus. You make sure that you are talking to him all the time, every day, and you make sure that you're serving the people around you. When you do that, it's a perfect shot. God's able to work, and amazing things happen.
This morning, we're going to have a time where the elders come up. We're going to be able to pray together. I encourage you to take advantage of that. If there's something you need to talk to them about, this is a great time to pray. And I always say this too, go to somebody else in here also. If, if you have a friend you want to pray with, just, just get on out and go walk to them. It's a great time to pray. If you're not praying, we're worshiping God together in song. Let's all stand and, and sing and pray and worship.